Star jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Nice. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. You should be able to hear the magnetic resonance. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time as we delve into the worlds of science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. I am your host, Gene Turnbow. I am your other host, Susan Fox. And with us today are two Krypton Radio panelists. Uh, we went entirely in-house for our talent today. Uh, we have Mike Price, who is our four-color bullet comic book columnist. And we have Thaddeus Howes, the Answer Man, who is a science fiction writer and futurist. Uh, he writes the Answer Man column for Krypton Radio. And he has just been given the uh, Top Writer Award for Cora for 2018, third year in a row. Welcome to the show, Thaddeus. Thank you. Glad to be here. And welcome to the show, Mike. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. And um, so, <laughs> now... Black Panther. Yeah. The, for those of you in the audience, uh, we have... Uh, Susan, <laughs> Susan and I are off our... Out of our zone today because Tight we're talking. Speak for yourself, Buster. <laughs> there are those who say I wasn't white enough. <laughs> you, on the other hand, you are so white you are clear. <laughs> That's but, probably true. But you are woke enough to to marry a nice Jewish girl, so we give you give you plenty of credit. Yeah, but the topic is the topic of discussion is Black Panther, and uh, we're probably going to be discussing Black Lightning and uh, the impact of both of these on comic book culture and and geek culture in general. And uh, you, well, I got to say, the influence on the effect on the impact on kids just just as of today is has been awe inspiring. Um, Mr. Bozeman apparently made a surprise appearance on the Tonight Show. Um, they took a, a few people off to the side, and including a mother and son, to record a video greeting to the Black Panther. And they say it, and uh, he comes out from around behind the curtain. <laughs> and the boy couldn't could not even speak he was so affected you haven't seen it yet it'll be on tonight oh i've seen it I, seen I, I saw some clips from it uh, i think i saw some clips from it this morning yeah. and people were they were it was breathtaking their responses so yeah it, it is already out there if you know where to look but uh in two weeks this this movie has made that kind of impact and uh what other movie has done that 
cocktail. It's absolutely, it's absolutely amazing. Uh, the the effect that it's had on so many people, my, myself included. Uh, I as soon as I as soon as the credits started rolling, I said, "Got to come back and see this again." Of course, we stayed after the credits were rolling all the way to the oh, end. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah, and you have to stay all the way to the end. Well, who doesn't stay all the way to the end? It's a Marvel movie. I mean, that's like a given. You'd think, but yeah, people got up and left. And you we're know, going, don't, pe- no, come back, come back. And they're ah, bye. The, the, those people, you know what, those those people have just come here because someone said to come here. You always know the Marvel fans because the Marvel fans, they just get comfortable. They just watch the credits go by. They get comfortable. They wait. They wait. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And what happens, they're like, the room gets quiet. Everybody, like, draws a deep breath because this is what they've really been waiting for the whole time they've been there is this <laughs> one scene. And they get really quiet and everybody watches. And then you hear the either they go, ooh, or ah, or er. And then they wait again for the second scene. And then they get up after, you know, after they see the second scene. Then they, there's some chatter and everybody gets up and, and talks about it and walks out because that's just, you know, people who know. They know to stay. There's, there's no reason to get up. And they get talk to each other. You know, the total strangers will start geeking out at each other, and that's a precious moment, man. Yeah, that's 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 when it's good. I really enjoyed. Not only did I enjoy the movie because it was just fantastic. I mean, I don't. Well, in order to be a good Marvel movie or a good superhero movie, first it has to be a good movie. Yeah, Let's start there. Yeah, and, and this was it was it was well written. It was well executed. Absolutely, absolutely. As a matter of fact, it was the thing that really one of the things that struck me was the fact that it didn't necessarily it didn't have all kinds of um, connections to the other movies. You could watch this as a standalone film without having seen the other Marvel films, the other Avengers movies, and so forth. And it really stood up on its own. Yeah, I I agree with you there. I mean. I enjoyed this film probably more than any Marvel film that I've seen in the last four years. I certainly enjoyed it more than than Thor Ragnarok. Which we had just seen, and eh, it was all right, you know. It was worth the popcorn. You know, Be nice, be nice. Thor Ragnarok wasn't terrible. I mean, it had a lot to recommend it if you saw the first two Thor movies, which I made the mistake of watching before I saw Thor Ragnarok, because I wanted to have it fresh in my mind, and those first two movies, let's face it, they're imminently forgettable. If you had never seen Thor 1 or Thor 2, you could watch Thor Ragnarok and be none the worse for the wear, because there's really nothing in common with any of those stories. So, in comparison, eh, it wasn't bad to me. Oh, I don't well, know. you don't get yeah. the impact of of the the danger to to Asgard and her people, so you know it isn't it isn't as big a deal unless you have the uh, the foundation for it, the backstory. And yeah. you could say that, and and can you say that about Black Panther? I mean, you could walk into that without too much behind well, it. Black Panther doesn't require that you know anything. That was the whole point. That's what Coogler wanted. He wanted as little to do with the Marvel Universe as possible, which is why there is no Iron Man cameo, as, mm. as you mm-hmm. see in so many of these movies. As a matter of fact, there's nobody else showing up, and that's the way they liked it. They wanted this to stand alone. They wanted it to be completely have its own its own legs, and then if it fails, it if it lives, well, then you can't say it was propped up by the uh, 32nd appearance of Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> yeah. No disrespect intended. Well, but we did have our stand spotting moment, so that made me happy. 
Yeah, I'm I was really... trying to figure out how they were going to sneak him into Wakanda because <laughs> he'd stand out there. I'm yeah, I'm really concerned about Stan. We just uh, we just published an article uh, about three days ago. Now, uh, Stan Lee um, did a little video that was released by TMZ about how uh, he is been fighting with pneumonia and how he's planning on coming back stronger than ever and how he's really thankful for everything the fans have done for him and how he misses the messages he used to get and and it sounds like saying he's saying goodbye he said it's, it's so tired he did I think he's ready to say goodbye. Well, I, I We're think not. he's what, 92 now? 95. 95. 95. Exactly. 95. He's and he got to see Black Panther. So let's face it. Does the man really need anything else? <laughs> you know, he's already seen Black Panther. I mean, sure, it'd be great if he was hanging around for Infinity War. But honestly, after seeing Black Panther, <laughs> why does he need anything else? I mean, don't get it twisted. I love the Avengers. Black Panther was just... An experience. I, you know, I love, you know, I'm a comic guy. I, I am the mm-hmm. answer man. This is what I do. I live it, breathe it, eat it, sleep it, dream it. But when I saw the Avengers the first time, I admit, yeah, there was a geekasm. But when I saw Black Panther, there was, it was transformative. I felt, I felt unchained. I felt released. I felt powerful and, no, in a way I, that the Avengers didn't give me. And I and I think part of that is indicative of of just where where well where you and I are at certainly. Um, this is a film that is a prominently African American or a black film. An African African. Yeah, African <laughs> exactly, and um, a film of that quality, and on top of that being a, a film uh, you know essentially by and for uh, black black people around the world. Uh, takes it that much that much farther ahead, that much farther up. Nobody goes to uh, Avengers to see themselves. No, no. <laughs> Little girls went to Wonder Woman to see mm-hmm. themselves. They're all going, that, but all of them are going to Black Panther. But that's not fair because I'm I went to Avengers to see myself. The Avengers and I go way back, way back. So it isn't like I didn't go to the Avengers with the expectation of feeling the awesomeness of seeing my comic heroes iconically done with good lighting, with good CGI, with good stories. You know, I went with the expectation of being wowed and it wasn't like it wasn't wow because I loved every second of it. When the Hulk punches that Chitari cruiser out the sky, man, you could have knocked me over with a pin. That was just (laughs) an amazing scene. So it is not like I didn't go to see myself. The difference was when I went to Black Panther, I was feeling myself. I I was like I could exhale for the first time. I was seeing a black hero who was not uh, screwing up like Hancock or in the background like any number of other heroes have been for centuries. You know, uh, War Machine, I love the character, but he hides in the background. He is in Tony Stark's shadow. The Falcon, he's in Captain America's shadow. The Black Mm -hmm. Panther is the shadow. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that is the that's, like that. that's the quote. That's the money quote. <laughs> well, we yeah, haven't said awesome. anything yet that is spoilerific. But let's warn people: if you don't want to hear spoilers, go see the movie. Come back here, Sun Rerun. Okay, that's, <laughs> that'll do. <laughs> done and done. Done and done. I feel better now. 
I, you know, I'm like the, I'm like the the fellas, the two one two? that played the claw, and the other one. Who well, played, Andy Circus, Andy and, Circus, and Martin and Freeman, the two Tolkien white guys uh-huh. in the movie, and they have this one scene where. Like they're questioning each other and going, it's riddles in the dark, isn't it? <laughs> Where is my precious? And, uh, you know, I kind of relate to them, you know, because they're sort of standing on the outside of this whole thing, looking in, trying to figure it out and going, oh, this is so much bigger than I thought it was. This is, they just think they know what's going on. And they have no, absolutely no clue. And you you go into this world, and it is so much richer and so much larger a universe. You know, it's not just, oh, it's Africa. No, Africa is an enormous place. There are it's the size of all the other major you know major countries put together. It is. No, no, no. Literally, if you took them and laid them inside of the framework of the continent of Africa. All of the Earth's major landmasses and countries can fit there, which is really ridiculously massively large. But we don't see it that way because the way the Mercator map set is set up, the, the map that we are commonly mm-hmm. known to use, it just doesn't show how huge Africa is. There's a map we need to put on the page. Yeah. <laughs> when when, mm-hmm. the, when we do. Run I, the I know the map. This. I'll find it. Okay. Thank you, sir. And it's just. It, I know it's just a movie, but it did open my eyes because there's so many different cultures and threads and influences. There were more than a hundred different tribal representations used just in Wakanda. In the, yeah, in in the representation of Wakanda, in and the costuming and and. Uh, oh, I hope she wins and, this weekend. Oh God! Oh my oh, God! That's his Sunday. Ruth Carter yeah. should annihilate. Anybody thinking of winning best costuming, best anything. I mean, she should be destroying it because Wakanda was visually stunning. It was beautifully integrated. It was amazingly shot. Everybody looked good. They looked like and they belonged there. And it's something that as a person of color, you note, because if you, if you go back and watch anything where we show up in film, if we are not the dominant part of that film – we simply aren't shot in the same kind of lighting that the Black Panther movie sets up for us. Everybody is beautiful. Every time you see them, wherever they're lit, whatever scene they're doing, their their colors are good. They're integrated nicely. I I, I am I'm hard pressed to remember a visual scene, not a CGI scene. That's a different story, but a visual scene where everybody's on the screen and they're showing them together. And there is, there's nothing out of place. There's nothing discordant. Nothing stands up too much or detracts from anything else. I mean, this is, a, it's a masterpiece in that regard. It's just beautiful. How does this, have you seen many of, um, much of Ryan Coogler's other work and how does this compare with it? Uh, it looks, the, the, some of the walkthroughs for the fight scenes look very similar. So, you know, his, his technique has only improved. You know, Creed is a Creed is a Creed is a great piece. If you haven't seen it, go get you some get some Creed. It's worthy. Um, I didn't see. I think it's Fruitvale. I didn't get to see Fruitvale. Uh, something happened, and I just never made it. But I know that Creed is Creed is a beast. And I think that when he was doing, he did some walkthroughs recently for Black Panther, and he shows how they're very similar to the ones he shot in Creed, uh, with the added benefit of he knows more, so he 
could do more. So they were very interesting to see. Anyway, it's yeah, it was an experience, and it was kind of it was an experience being in the theater too. And we went, we didn't go to see it in a particularly racially blended neighborhood. And and yeah, we uh, did. It was mostly uh, mostly Latino, actually. Well, yeah, mostly Latino. <laughs> and they had know. a good time too. Yeah, they did. But it, it, it's uh, one family. One one African American family, a woman and her two daughters. They were dressed to the nines. Oh yes, and they, they came. Were. They, they with the head with the head wraps and yeah. the whole thing. And, they scooted out front and to and pose t- with the cardboard, you know, with you know, <laughs> standees. The, the standees in the in the in the lobby, and they looked magnificent. And it was it was very obvious how the movie made them feel. What was that? It was a major. It was a major chord. <laughs> a major chord. I'm so sorry. You knocked over your uh, stringed instrument. Yes. <laughs> yuke down, yuke down. No, that's my stringed instrument. What Which happens to be plugged in. Okay, put it away. <laughs> put it away. Oh, now that's something I want to hear more of. What? There's nothing wrong with ukuleles. I love Steven, <laughs> Steven Universe and ukuleles have become quite the thing for me. I love watching their little songs and everything. I don't know I, if anybody here watches Steven Universe besides me. Actually, I I'm love. a big fan and I took up ukulele because of Steven Universe. Steven Universe is great. And the ukulele they play there is always entertaining. <laughs> How are those English classes coming for you? Yeah, not so well, apparently. <laughs> Welcome to ukulele talk on Krypton Radio. <laughs> I'm a mandolin guy myself. Oh, oh hey now. <clears throat> um, Wakandan music. Hey, that's something I want to hear. Oh, yeah. I just want a Wakanda, wow. Wakanda TV, WTV, all Wakanda all the time. The guy who did the soundtrack for the movies, like <laughs> a German guy. <laughs> a white German guy, and he got. But you movie. know, that was the one thing I felt they missed. I felt like, uh, you know, I listen to a lot of different music, and I listen to music from the continent. I do a bunch of my, my musical taste is very vast and wide and weird. And so, the one place I felt I would have liked more African themed music would have been there. I felt like it was, it was trying to be edgy. It was trying to be. Uh, cool. And, and Marvel's movies, let's keep it real. Marvel's movies haven't been known for their music. Uh, name a, you know, can you even imagine, can you remember a riff that makes you care that you've heard, a, you know, a Marvel movie taking place? I can't think of any. You know, Star Wars, everybody can name, you know, John Williams' work for Star Wars. It, it has a distinctive tone, and you played in any Star Wars movie, played in any theater, people know it. But there's no thing that, when I listen to the Marvel soundtracks, there's no music. There's no stand-up music. There's nothing that makes me go, that's a Marvel movie. It just – they just haven't done it. And I was hoping that Black Panther would break that. And it does better, but it's still not perfect. Well, and there's a reason for that. As a white German guy, yeah. We got yeah, that. Yeah, Hans no, Zimmer. <laughs> Hans Zimmer. Well, he's hey, not he's an unknown, is he? Well, no, he's but he not. Make it, you, the, you don't hear the Black Panther team theme it's not a toe tap but the reason the reason uh the reason it's like that is because hans zimmer uh was uh he's been the one doing a lot of those soundtracks and he got his start uh working in the early days of of um uh, music synthesis and in the earliest days of music synthesis 
the things that worked the best were percussion sounds. Other synthesizer sounds were not as convincing, but percussion worked great. So he did that. That's why you have drum machines. And, and he, yeah. Well, he was he was the drummer for the band called the Buggles. The Buggles. <laughs> he was the Buggles, and oh, he, God. you can see him in the uh, the Buggles music video for the 1979 song "Video Killed the Radio Star." Oh dear God! That was him, and that's where he got his start, and that's that sound. So all of his stuff. Uh, uh, has this heavy bias towards and it's not melodic. It's driving, it's appropriate to the scene, but it's not memorable because it doesn't have the melodic lines that, uh, say, John Williams has. Well, I would say mm-hmm. ar- arguably John Williams is probably the last well-known um, thematic writer for films where you have, you have distinct, an actual distinct uh, themes, whereas most everybody else now is just just kind of background generic stuff. Well, and everybody's following that same formula. You know, they're they they're trying to get the stuff out quickly. They work from libraries very frequently, and it's safe. And it's safe because uh, it, it's less. There's less brain work involved. Frankly, mm-hmm. you know, not it's not to not to diminish their achievement, but. But uh, Hans Zimmer is no Michael Giacchino. That's <laughs> he's, true. He's no John Williams, and uh, and it's because of this choice of in composers that we don't have any memorable themes for any of the Marvel films. Now, Michael Giacchino scored uh, Captain America, didn't he? Yes, he did. Well, that was pretty distinctive. Yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah, but it that was one a period was piece, and it really lent itself to it more. Right, right. and right. see, that's the cheat: is that because it was a period piece, it gets over. But, you know, try to remember any modern music scenes. And, you know, and this isn't just me saying this. I, I, I read some stuff. I looked at some, you know, I read a bunch of articles and I listened to a bunch of YouTube videos. And I hated to admit it, but it was he was right. They just there's no there there. There's no, Marvel, yeah, it's not memorable. <laughs> it's, it's not memorable. Their music has not carried mm-hmm. the day when all is said and done. We've had 10 years of Marvel movies and there may be 10 soundtracks, but. I doubt if there's 10 soundtracks that if you were to gather them all together, you would care that you were playing them at all. And you probably couldn't tell what movie they came from. And you probably <laughs> wouldn't care. Well, the, the, and the standout moments for me were the ones where they echoed back to the uh, old cartoon themes. But I'm old. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that would be why. It's because they choose composers who rely on percussion and not. Melody lines, and it's the melody lines that we remember. Well, I don't know. Some of the drumming scenes in Black Panther were intense. Yeah, yes, those were During intense. the fights where there are drummers there, <laughs> you see them. Thaddeus, you were commenting on uh, um, on music from the continent and what you thought about that. And you, I don't think you got to finish your thought. Well, well, I just felt like, you know, there is so much music, you know, that could have been... Uh, Listened to, reorganized, thought about, gathered. I mean, and 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 they didn't have to just take it from Africa. I mean, since Wakanda seems to, you know, get around, we could have had, you know, anything from the diaspora. You could have had some cute Afro-Cuban. You could have had some, some Afro-Hispanic. I mean, Africa has influenced everybody's music. It just felt like Wakanda would have had a, 
a feel like that, that it was more African and less, you know, what it was. Just felt like very generic. I was expecting something more signature, you know. Yeah. Uh, I listen to stuff. Matter of fact, don't even take my word for it. Go to YouTube, type in African music. <laughs> African diaspora music. And there's a rabbit hole to follow. And, and there is, you will get lost in brilliant, brilliant play. I mean, these, these, these are incredible musics. And none of them showed up in Wakanda. And that was my only regret. You'd think it would I'd be. Still be with, I'd still live there. I'd still live there. With their uh, isolation from the rest of the world, you'd think they would have something, a very distinctive sound, unlike the others that hadn't really gotten out. And that was an opportunity they missed. And here you go, here again, from my, you know, pure white bread perspective, um, what I heard was a departure from what I usually hear. So it, it pulled me far away from my center, and yet. It was nowhere near far enough. <laughs> it was nowhere near far enough. And uh, and I feel like maybe I was, you know, after talking to you, I feel like maybe I was cheated. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's like I said, if you don't know, let's say you never listened to any of that music. If you didn't know, you'd be thrilled. You would say this was a great soundtrack. And, and comparatively speaking, there was at least a fingerprint that was distinct from Marvel's previous soundtracks. So that was a good thing. However, the broader your knowledge, the more you realize this was an opportunity that they could have run with and they just fell short. It wasn't that it was bad. It just could have been, you know, just like everything else was so amazing because they took so much time to gather this richness. I felt like that's the one place where they could have been out there gathering Equally as much, you know, musical richness around the world and bringing it home and then finding a signature sound and making that Wakandan. And they did not do that. And that's my complaint. It wasn't a failure on their part. It's just a missed opportunity. You know, it strikes me that uh, with regard to uh, films in general, uh, because of what Black Panther represented on the on the world stage, politically, particularly in the political stage, I kind of felt like that generic type of music was kind of the a way to be a little be, be a little safe. I would think it's like you they're know, hiding from the world. Well, they well, were hiding from the world, but I'm saying from the standpoint of the production all the way across the board. Mm. Um, Black Panther was a standout film um, because of the fact that we had 98 uh, percent a black cast. Uh, and people behind the scenes as well, you know, above and below the line. Uh, there were some areas where they just kind of had to not go as far, if that makes any sense. Yeah, because like, there's nobody there, – there are no black musicians in Hollywood, right? Well, I mean, come well, on. Well, not that there isn't, but I'm saying but from a production standpoint – and I used, to, I used to work at Disney, which is a whole other uh, area a, of, mm. of crazy. But um, it's, it's almost like, okay, well, we're putting, we're putting a lot of eggs in this particular basket. We've got to play it safe here. So, no, it's or like, they didn't want to put a lot of money into that because they could have put a lot more well, money that's into just it. Not their, that's not their strength. It's it's like having Mexican food and having no Tabasco on the table. Well, you don't you put know, Tabasco because, on the table. Well, you put Tapatio on the table. Well, yeah. Tallulah well, on the table. The, uh, okay. It, see exactly my point. I be this. I'm I'm the uh, I'm the sheltered white guy. <laughs> I I am the uh, I'm the litmus test here. If I 
if it's outside my experience, uh, uh, I might, that might be considered too risky for somebody like me to, to be exposed to in terms of marketing. Yeah. But if you and get I, it, then it's it, good. Then it really worked. Yeah. yeah. But hold on, that's, but that's the point. You, you know, we were looking at this movie from a, an international perspective. Because, uh-huh, you know, exactly. Had, uh, Pusan, they have Korea there. Mm-hmm. They have, uh, you know, they have African scenes. They have the Dormelage. They have all these things where, you know, we got so much mixed on, so many different continents, so many places to go. I, I know that they decided that they were going to be safe somewhere and music was where they were going to be safe because, let's face it, music can make your piece or break it. And they decided that we've already taken enough risks by doing the stuff that we've done. Let's play the music as safe you know, safe and close to our vest as possible and that's exactly why we got that soundtrack i'm not surprised at it i'm just sad yeah I, I well and the other thing is you know look who wrote it it's a german guy <laughs> well uh, now with with that in mind hopefully when when they make a black panther 2 when they, yeah they'll actually go that much farther and be able to make that kind of investment because oh, they they're really will, gonna have to. they will have to they will have to make a black panther 2 Lud, ludwig Göransson. Who's that? He is the that is the name of the composer of the uh, Black Panther original score soundtrack. I thought you said it was Hans Luke, Zimmer. No, Hans, I'll be right back. Hans Zimmer wrote writes most of the music for the uh, for the uh, uh, Marvel movies. Oh, oh, oh. But Ludwig Göransson wrote this. What? And he, but he's still a German guy. You know, and, and, and there's only so much perspective he's going to have. So he did as much research as he's, you know, I mean, he, he, he stretched. Obviously he stretched some, but, uh. Um, well, stretched some for him, for himself, certainly. Yeah, for himself. And, you know, so there, there are some, uh, African elements yeah, in but- it, but the rest of them is, the rest of what he wrote is straight European. Yeah, but he's and stretching for himself. Obvious. Who are you making this movie for? Yourself or the right. world? Well, <laughs> if, if you if you are known to have a particular style of writing, and you know, and you, something like this comes along, and you go, okay, well, I'm going to try. I've never done this before, so I'll give it a shot. Your stuff is going to sound a little different. And so, as far as the money mm-hmm. people are concerned, it's like, okay, this sounds different. This sounds great. It's still the guy that we know. Let's go with it. Yeah, and I it's mean, still for, generic, you know. But. From a musical standpoint, it, it it did sound like you know, oh, it's the the the, the African drums and the rhythms and and the uh, the uh, the melodic themes. You know, that's exciting. And then and then underneath, you still had the the European underpinnings and the right, Marvel right, movie, exactly. <coughs> you know, and the Marvel movie soundtrack underpinnings. And it it's, it it felt like somebody had bolted a jet engine to a chainsaw. I mean, it just it's okay. the more you think about it, the weirder it seems. Um, I think I think we're beating this dead horse. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, 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 what other um, artistic elements can we uh, examine here? The um, architecture—that's something that's that's always present in the uh, Marvel oh, the, universe. That was, that was phenomenal, and how much they utilized the the how much they utilized the uh, the the waterfall areas and the, and the natural. And, and using, utilizing the earth itself as a place to actually be, as opposed to just building a building. They, you, they used everything that they have. 
as far as their environment is concerned. But the cityscape as well yeah. was something something unique. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it didn't look like New York, and it didn't look no. like Asgard, which was a definitely a, a Jack Kirby fantasy city, exactly. as it should be. But, but when they got this to was the area, something different. Yeah, when they got to the area where it was time to you know challenge the king, and they instead of being in the high technological uh, spires and everything else, they were in this. You know, they were literally with a part of their a part of their world. They were in the earth, standing in the little alcoves in the mountainside. The place was, where they'd been for seven thousand years. Yeah, and that was just that was just phenomenal. And you know, no, you certainly America doesn't have anything like that. You know, you go back a couple hundred years. To me, it recalled uh, the giant anthills of the Serengeti. Yeah, you know, it looked like that. It looked like those structures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can say that. It did look like that, but I love how they actually show they 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 that whole area is a recreation because technologically speaking, they had to drain away that lake for that to show up at right. all. Otherwise, it stays underwater uh, as part of a waterfall. So it only shows up when they drain the lake lo- low enough to allow the the area that they're doing their uh, their feet in their fighting in that area becomes available only when they make it that way. And I thought that was an interesting touch. They hide all their tradition behind an awesome bit of uh, technological uh, sleight of hand. And I thought it was just a very nice touch. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Well, only Wakandan technology could have kept it intact for 7,000 years because otherwise the you know wind and water and uh, you know, would have done their usual magic as it carves the earth everywhere else. Well, I think it's also um, uh, an allegory, really, for uh, for the Wakandan need to preserve their culture uh, from erosion as well. You know, uh, they've protected their culture and their technology technology from the outside world by hiding it very, very, very well. And uh, everyone assumes them to be like the poorest country on earth. They're a farming culture. And what could they possibly have to offer the world? And in fact, they are the world's most advanced country. And everybody's got it completely backwards. And I think that's not only an allegory for, you know, the, the, the revelation of the, the, uh, uh, the area of contest, you know, and the, the revealing of that, uh, with the hiding of the city, uh, as is, goes along with the protection of the idea of Wakanda and, and the upside down relationship Wakanda has with the rest of the world. And it's an upside down relationship that they deliberately have. Because for the sheer purpose that if, they, if people had access to, as they showed in the movies, had access to their weaponry and their technology, mm-hmm. the first thing that people would do was start killing each other. Do you think they're trying to, like, make a point, you know? Like, black people are much, much more than they seem, and that, that, uh, that they are being uh, not only misunderstood, but vastly, vastly underestimated hmm, could be mm-hmm. you know, I think respects, that's, yes. by the same token uh, when uh, the uh, the I forgot the character's name uh, Killmonger yes when Killmonger took over 
you know, the first thing he did was, okay, we're going to give all these weapons to everybody, and we're going to show them who's boss. Which to me, yeah, we're going to show them the truth. Yeah, and which which to me says, okay, we can be just as we can be amazingly intelligent and and technologically advanced, but we can be just as idiotic, <laughs> just as big. Jerks is the rest sure. of the world, and I'm trying to keep it G-rated. Like, uh, you know, on a bigger scale, we're looking at people look at Americans, and it's like the first thing we do when Americans get something is like, okay, well, let's go blow this up. Yeah, great swell, just swell. <laughs> well, you know that that whole that whole question. So you know, there's two origins to Wakanda, right? Did oh, you know every that? time they do yeah. a, a a reboot of the, the Marvel universe, everybody's got a new origin. So under the original writings for Wakanda, T'Challa, the, Wakanda had vibranium, but it was not the thing that it is now. It was strange. It was unique. The Wakandans, they protected it, and all that was great. But at some point, the original writings for Wakanda said that the Black Panther, T'Challa, was a genius and that he left out, went out into the world, uh, acquired Western knowledge, brought it back to Wakanda, and because of the innate educational opportunities for the Wakandans transform. He transformed their society in a generation so that they became technologically super advanced. And then somewhere in there, they decided to change that origin and made it that Wakanda had technology for thousands of years and that the, the Wakandans chose never to interact with the rest. They didn't want to have to worry that vibranium would show up in the hands of people who weren't responsible enough to use it because it's incredibly powerful. And as you've seen, it could be, it could make incredible weapons. So in this second origin, we get this idea that Wakanda did not participate in the world. And so then the very first question someone asked me was, well, what happened during the slave trade? Why didn't Wakanda intervene? And so this, this becomes the issue by which they've made this movie because they were saying that when this happened, Wakanda could have, change something wakanda could have done something different and everyone says because of that uh this movie you know falls down on its face the their their standards and i and i questioned that because i said in an essay i've written that i believe ultimately that wakanda made a choice that it could live with that if it were to have decided to take over the world because that's what it would have taken. You have to think of these cultures. Uh, think of, you know, 12th, 13th, 14th century, 15th century uh, Europe. And imagine for a moment that when they decided they were going to start the slave trade and they were at the peak of their, their social and economic powers and growing vaster, vastly more powerful every year. Do you think they would have accepted the idea that there was a group of people whose technology made them look like they were fighting with sticks and bones? Do you think they would have accepted that? No, they would have fought and fought and fought. And eventually the Wakandans would have had to do in reverse what the Europeans had done to the world. They would have to take over the world, albeit uh, not to exploit it, but to simply save it. Because I can't imagine all of the world's great powers becoming bankrupt overnight because Wakanda sinks all their fleets everywhere to prove the point that they could. And then suddenly this loss of manpower, this loss of wealth, this loss of opportunity would leave these nations vulnerable to predation. And Wakanda wouldn't want that either. So they'd end up taking over the world just to save it from itself. But then would they be the same people they are today? Probably not. So our whole question becomes, did, did they not intervene because it was good for Wakanda and bad for the world? Or were they hoping the world might get its act together 
and be able to regulate itself. And I think that's what they were hoping for. And so at this point, when we are now meeting T'Challa and T'Chaka, both of them are questioning this. They're asking, they're saying to themselves, well, the world didn't regulate itself. It has only grown more monstrous. Perhaps we might want to think it's time, but T'Chaka refused and Najobu, his brother, thought it was time. And this was the perfect conflict for this kind of movie because it brings into the question the horribleness of chattel slavery and yet the idea that maybe there's an alternative and that the possibilities, if black people were allowed to do what they were doing, they would make something great. It's the moral dilemma that defines the film, certainly. It's one of them. The other one for me was, why did they leave Najobu's son behind? The family means so much to Wakandans. Why, why did they leave him there? Shame. It was shame. The king would have to explain that he killed his brother. Remember, he said, you will never speak of this. Right. And when the king tells you this, that's gospel. You, you just don't do it. So it, from his, in his mind, the idea that he had to kill his brother was so shame-inducing there, that literally, he would. His only other option to prevent that would be to kill the child. And even T'Chaka drew, drew the line there. His brother, his brother was in defiance of the king. The king could exercise his right to say, "I am the justice that needs to be delivered. You have failed, Wakanda. You must die, and I am delivering that justice." And no one would blink an eye. But if he said, "Well, then I went out and found his son and killed him too," that might make him less of an ideal king. People might question his moral. Fiber. Better that he not mention the child. He's a Wakandan. He'll be fine. He's smart. He's going to be capable. He'll take care of himself. You know, we don't know where about his mother. We assume there is a mother somewhere. We assume the child grew up with his mother. He evidently did okay. He went to MIT. He became a killing machine that uh, was renowned the world over. I don't think he did too bad. So T'Chaka, from his perspective, that was the choice that should have been made, even if it was not an ideal one. And it wasn't. He should have brought the kid home and manned up, but he didn't. So, you know what? We wouldn't have a story if he did. So it worked out <laughs> <That's> okay. True. <laughs> well, there's it's that. True. It's true. What do you think the film has had as an influence on uh, on our current culture? I mean, I, I, do, you, little, do you see it? It's been two it's, weeks. It's been two weeks, but, <laughs> but you, you can use... When Wonder Woman came out, we saw a change almost immediately. We did see an impulse of change. And yeah, you saw, I think you, saw we're their, see- you know, they got the same salute, <laughs> the crossed arms. <laughs> yeah, I've noticed that. You know, I, but I see an impulse. There is an echo in this. So at this point, uh, Wonder Woman is, has actually sold 50,000 more tickets than Black Panther, but that's going to change like tomorrow, <laughs> this weekend. <laughs> Probably. 50,000 tickets? Yeah. yeah. It'll change, yeah. It'll tomorrow, change in a right. day. Yeah. It'll change in but a it day. Opens, it opens in Japan today, or opened in Japan today and China next oh, week. Oh, well, so. yeah. yeah. So, Tomorrow's night, box office mm-hmm. numbers, yeah, that's it. Yeah, it hasn't even made it some places yet, right? Yeah. Um, the last two were were the Asian markets, and and just Japan and and China. They it's been in Malaysia, Singapore, et cetera, for some time. It'll probably do okay in Japan. China may or may not. The and Chinese really, only like Japan the, is not a big yeah. Marvel country, and they've got a they've got a big cartoon out this this week. Apparently, Doraemon something. 
I, I've, I've no idea. I, I, was, <laughs> I haven't been again, tracking it. I was, I was reading the trades today. Okay? Oh, okay. I'm looking very forward to seeing how their numbers match up to the opening weekend for Blank Man uh, in China. <laughs> we'll see how well that goes. Blank Man? Blank Man won't even register. Of course it won't. You know, it even actually hurt me to make that joke. There... Uh, I, I loved seeing Wonder Woman and I loved seeing Black Panther in part for the same reason, because each empowered uh, a disenfranchised group. And it made me feel wonderful seeing uh, uh, seeing that empowerment. But that's because you're enlightened the same way you felt wonderful. A whole bunch of men quivered. And got nervous. Oh yes, and went out and bought some more guns because <laughs> they, yeah, they no. felt like the, you know their world was crumbling and, and changing. And you know what? The reason you haven't seen that shockwave yet is because that shockwave is happening in the hearts of small children. In 1973, oh, so. you could believe a man could fly, couldn't you? Oh yes, You're wearing oh, him yes. on your shirt right there. Yeah. So my point is this: in 1973, when that man flew, I was empowered. Superman empowered me. The same way Superman empowered me, Black Panther is empowering a whole bunch of 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15-year-olds who have always wondered if they could be great. Now they don't question it, and the ramifications of that won't be felt for another 10 years. But trust me, it will be felt. And the little shuries of today... You know, wind up going to MIT tomorrow. You know. Oh, I hope so. I this this is a change that needs to happen. But the women in that film were were worth worth the price of admission right there. Oh, that was so much fun watching Shuri kick ass and, and queens and, and yes, and that was so much fun. And law enforcement officers, which is what they were, the Dora Milaje. Yeah. Oh, yes. That was so much fun. Can I throw wigs at people? Because I would, I would totally do that. I would change my hair today. There'll be no wig throwing today. No, no, no. Well, I, it's. If you're hearing something, that's my wife in the background talking crazy. Just pretend you don't hear it. Wig girl, throw it. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Any, any, anyway, um, <laughs> I, I think it's going to be it'll be a minute, you know, because I think that the shockwaves for, you know, even things like Superman, you know, there were shockwaves for generations. I mean, this it's one of those things that it may not happen for us right now. But I believe that every person that saw it, you know, it's they're going to embody it. I, in the first essay I wrote before the movie even came out, I, I asked that question. The reason Wakanda was important was because it gave everybody the opportunity to dream and share the same dream. See, you know, when you think about mythical cities, everybody thinks of a mythical city in a different way. But what's nice about an iconic image like Wakanda, like the Black Panther, is that it gives you one image that you can all share and you can all interact with and you can all talk about. And when you say like Wakanda, everyone can give you a feeling that they're expecting that feeling of hopefulness, that feeling of togetherness, that feeling of integration yes, that Wakanda yes. was built on. And it becomes that shared language that changes things, that gives people 
a symbol they can point at and say, I see this and we can talk about that thing. And it becomes its own answer to the question. And that's what makes it cool. Ladies and gentlemen, we have been speaking with Thaddeus Howes, the answer man, and Mike Price, the author of our four-color bullet column, comic books column on Krypton Radio. And this has been The Event Horizon. And thank you both for joining us. Uh, It has been a great discussion, and I look forward to both of you joining us again. It was a pleasure. We hope to do that again soon. Great nice meeting you as well, and thank you again for having me too. You have been listening to episode 192 of Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for March 2nd, 2018. Our panelists today have been The Answer Man, science fiction writer, futurist, and comics expert Thaddeus Howes, Krypton Radio four-color bullet columnist and comics expert Mike Price, station manager Gene Turnbow, and our executive producer Susan Fox. If you liked this week's episode and you would like to hear more of them, please visit patreon.com slash kryptonradio and chip in. There is no national public radio fund coming to our rescue each month. That comes from you, the listeners, directly. You may also make one-time donations via our PayPal button at the bottom of the website or click on the Buy Us a Coffee button at kryptonradio.com. Either one works. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The navigator was Christine Cherry. The science officer was science fiction illustrator Mark Schurmeister. The engineer was Christian B. McGuire. The captain was voiced by none other than legendary science fiction writer Larry Niven. This program and its contents are copyright 2018 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. The Event Horizon. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. <laughs>